Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's... Wednesday, February 15th. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins. Our studio producer is Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us. It's good to be with you this morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Wednesdays, I always take a moment to remind you to pray to St. Joseph, the husband of our blessed Mother Mary and the foster father of Jesus. He is a powerful intercessor. Go to Joseph. Now, can you believe that Lent is right around the corner? Ash Wednesday is coming up a week from today, February 22nd. I want to remind you that you can elevate your Lent this year in just two minutes a day with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. They are jam-packed with interesting facts and teachings to help you learn more about the Mass and your faith. See why these bite-sized videos had over a million viewers last year. You can sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass uh, this morning at relevantradio.com slash Lent. And the good news is that they're free. Now, not only does Lent start uh, next Wednesday, Major League Baseball spring training starts today for many teams with pitchers and catchers reporting today. Yes, spring hopes eternal. Looking forward to the baseball season. Want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines here on this Wednesday morning? Well, last weekend, a busy one for U.S. fighters in the air knocking down three unidentified objects. Still unidentified is yet to us. No word that the military has recovered any of the debris of those three occasions in Canada, in Alaska, and then over Lake Huron near Michigan. And we did learn, the government said, that uh, two missiles were fired. First one missed, fell harmlessly in the water, didn't destroy anything, civilian or military, and and the second one knocked that object out of the sky. But no word on what those things were yet, guys. And uh, apparently the White House uh, is not embarrassed, (laughs) as uh, not a whole lot of information has still come out. There's still many, many questions that uh, reporters have not gotten answers to. Yeah, there's a fair amount of thought that these aren't further Chinese things. Uh, China, at the same time now, probably falsely claiming that the U.S. is sending balloons over China. Uh, we d- we deny that, but uh, they're trying to not look so bad for the balloon they sent our way a couple weeks ago. Uh, but uh, some think that now we're, we're shooting down everything to prove that we can do it if we need to. Uh, others say that... You know, we've calibrated our radars a little more carefully now, and we're picking up more things that might have always been out there. So uh, the mysteries do continue. Uh, meanwhile, Glenn, I know you had a special day yesterday going to a bishop's or uh, ordination. What was that like? Yeah, Diocese of St. Cloud outside the Twin Cities in Minnesota. A, a new bishop, uh, Patrick Neary, there ordained yesterday. And a beautiful, beautiful mass, about two and a half hours long. And I tell you, we got to sit near the front so with the press and uh, up there in a cathedral boy the sound is awesome you know <laughs> with everybody singing and all the priests and bishops that were invited in full voice and uh, just a beautiful beautiful ceremony congratulations to the uh, new bishop of st cloud that's 
Bishop Patrick Neary. Uh, the officiant was Archbishop Hebda from St. Paul, Minneapolis, and another familiar voice to those uh, who've listened through the years on, on Morning Air, as well as another familiar voice as well up from uh, uh, Pensacola, Tallahassee, Bishop Walk there, too. So nice to con- uh, make uh, contact with a few of the, the bishops we've had on the air uh, time and time again. And if everyone uh, and ever gets a chance to, to go to one of those, uh, you know, the, the, he, this was an ordination as well as an installation. He'd been elevated from his role as a as a priest to a bishop, and so there's the, the pouring out of the oil. And uh, when they you show that papal decree, uh, traditionally you'll walk around and hold up a, a scroll that has been uh, written out by uh, you know Pope Francis. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. So there wasn't any hear ye, hear ye. That didn't happen, right? <laughs> They're no, walking the around with the scroll. <laughs> Yeah, oh no, but they're walking around with that. And then the night before, as part of the Vespers service, there was the you know, knock on the door that's traditional of the, uh, the incoming bishop. And uh, the rector of the cathedral had to open the door and welcome him in. I think there was no doubt he'd, he'd let him in. And he might have been a little disappointed it wasn't a kid selling cookies or something. But no, it was, uh, it, it was a beautiful and long standing tradition. I'm sure it was uh, spectacular. And it's also a reminder that the bishops are the successors of the apostles. So when you think of it in that context, just think of uh, 2,000 years of lineage going all the way back uh, to the original 12. Amazing. Yeah, when you saw you know the bishops laying hands on the, the head of the bishop-elect, you, you thought about that. It's like, wow, these are hands that had hands laid upon them, that hands laid upon them going all the way back to Christ. That's, that's, just, uh, that's mind-blowing when you stop to think about that. Meanwhile, in Kansas City today, uh, Patrick Mahomes and company, uh, the Super Bowl uh, champion Kansas City Chiefs are going to be honored uh, at noon uh, in a victory parade, uh, their second uh, Super Bowl championship in four years. They're expecting a massive crowd in KC today, uh, Glenn. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a team, what a game. they got to be excited to the second championship in four years after three trips to the Super Bowl in three years. And Mr. Mahomes, the MVP of the regular season, is, uh, well, as uh, the Super Bowl, is only 27. He's got a ways to go. I mean, uh, Mr. Brady played till age 45. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but, but you, to play that long, you got to be in uh, great physical shape and kind of be lucky to not get crunched along the way with injuries. And uh, although injuries certainly didn't is Dr. Patrick Mahomes. By the way, a little little side bet went on between the Pennsylvania governor and the governor of Kansas. Uh, Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania now is uh, flying uh, a Kansas City Chiefs flag in his office. And uh, on the way to uh, Laura Kelly from Kansas, well, she's going to get some Philly cheesesteaks and soft pretzels soon. How fun is that? I don't know. I think I'd like to get those pretzels. That sounds like a good win. <laughs> I tell you what, those parades, I've been to those championship parades. Uh, The Cubs had about 5 million people uh, uh, next to Lake Michigan for their parade. So those parades, the Super Bowl championship parades, uh, I'm sure it's going to be spectacular for for the fans. So as always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn and Sarah. Sure thing, Jeff. We begin every morning always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. Every day is a blessing. We always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, I trust in you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show, and you can always uh, send us an email directly, morningair at relevantradio.com. A number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. Now, as I just mentioned, Lent starts a week from today with Ash Wednesday. Are you ready? And how do you know what God wants from you this Lent? Perhaps it's to rediscover and experience a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ through your journey in Lent. How is the Lord asking us to change uh, this Lenten season? I, I like to think of Lent as a spiritual spring training, just like the MLB players that are reporting uh, today. Listen to our next guest, uh, Father Mark Toops, on uh, this upcoming Lent. What if there were more to life that God wanted to give you? And what if we were leaving all that on the table because we didn't know how to ask for it or how to receive it? There are times in the year, like Lent, that God desires to bless us in some very personal ways. And if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. And this Lent can be different. It can be personal. And I'm excited about walking with you. This Lent can be a time where God gives you the more that He wants to give you, so that this Lent can be a personal experience of the freedom that God longs for all of us. God bless you. What a powerful reminder. Joining us live is Father Mark Toops uh, to help us get prepared for Lent with the Ascension Lenten Companion. Father Toops is known for his joyful, encouraging spiritual advice as he's helped many, many Catholics develop habits of daily prayer. Father Toops is a priest for the Diocese of Huma uh, Thitabo, uh, for which he is the Vicar General, as well as the pastor of Our Lady of the Isle in Grand Isle, Louisiana. Uh, he's also the author of Oremus, A Catholic Guide to Prayer and Rejoice, the Advent Meditation Series, and the Lenten Companion Series from Ascension. Father Toops, welcome to Morning Air. Thanks so much for joining us. It is a blessing uh, to be with you for the first time here on the show. Good morning. It's good to be with you. And as I listen to you uh, talk about the uh, parade for the Super Bowl champions, be reminded of uh, we are in the, the heart of Mardi Gras down here in Louisiana, so we have our own parades that we are navigating at this time of year. Absolutely. You guys know a thing or two about celebrating and parades there with, with Mardi Gras. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. It's good to be with you this morning. It is It is a joy. Uh, Father, what uh, should we and what can we expect from uh, this upcoming Lent? Well, I, I think we should expect that our lives would be changed. Uh, I don't always um, experience that as, as I look back at my own journey in Lent, and, and certainly in 22 years of priesthood, uh, I feel like some people— um, yeah, they, they, they get into to Lent with the same spiritual exercise that they've done the previous years. And um, uh, I think we should expect a lot more because God desires to give us a lot more. Um, I think God has set aside Lent as, as a time of spiritual renewal just as much as uh, preparation for, for, for Easter. Um, 
certainly, you know, Lent is designed to get us ready for Holy Week. It's designed to get us ready for the greatest gift that's ever been given to us. But the the journey can be one that is filled with deep intimacy. The journey is one that can be filled with all our personal renewal. So my, my prayer for all of your listeners, my prayer for you is, is that, that this Lent would be your best Lent ever, and it would be a time that we would grow in our, our relationship with the Lord. I love that perspective. It's all a preparation uh, for Holy Week, the the three days that change the course of history uh, uh, with uh, the Triduum of our Lord. How can uh, we uh, make a decision to uh, be transformed during this Lenten season? Uh, it's a it's a great question. I think it begins with with even now as as we are inching into Lent. Um, if we want our lives to be transformed, I think we have to, to ask ourselves, well, well, what can we do perhaps differently this year uh, from what we've done in the past so that um, we are partnering with God? One of my, one of my favorite uh, quotes from the Catechism talks, it's number 2567, it talks about the fact that God's always taking the initiative. That means right, right now, today, this morning, um, just one week before Lent, God is taking the initiative in all of our lives. He, he knows what he wants for Lent, and, and if, we would, if we would begin to ask him now what he wants our Lent to look like, then we'll be ready on Ash Wednesday. We'll be more intentional about doing that. I think that one of the reasons why I, I wrote the companion the way that I, that I wrote it, and, and really the reason it came from my heart is, is just as a former pastor, uh, watching people, I think, listen to an invitation for prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, uh, I think people knew you know, you know, the fasting piece, I think that that's concrete in people's lives. I think almsgiving, people have options for that, and that makes sense. But I think for prayer, as a pastor who's invited people to pray over and over and over, I think it dawned on me that I think a lot of people maybe don't know how to pray, where they're hearing the voice of God, they're, they're sharing their hearts with Him, and their prayer becomes something that's super relational. So I think the reason why the companion is structured the way it is in, in its, uh, its writing, its meditations, is to make the prayer piece easy for people, uh, to teach them how to, to share their hearts with the Lord, and to help their, um, their hearts hear uh, God speak back to them. Father, do you find that people are hungry to learn how, how to pray, uh, how to grow uh, deeper with the Lord, how to fast properly? In other words, the, the basic fundamentals uh, that we need to do here uh, during Lent. That's why, you know, I use kind of sports jargon because I'm a former sports reporter and, and I see a connection between spring training for the baseball players and our spiritual spring training uh, during Lent. I, I, absolutely. I, I find that people are, are hungrier than ever uh, for, for, for help in, in prayer. There's a, a great line from a movie, The American President, that says, when people are thirsty enough in the desert, they'll drink the sand when they see a mirage. And I think that people are, are very thirsty uh, for the Lord right now. Uh, I think whether it is because of just the, the, the circumstances of, of life or um, the fact that God made us for him and he made us hungry, or whether it's just this time of year where I think God has, has placed a desire in a lot of our hearts for him. Uh, but, you know, you know, the last time I learned about prayer prior to going to the seminary was when I was a kid. My parents taught me how to pray my Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the Glory Be, and, and that worked when I was a kid. But I think for a lot of adults, um, 
learning how to pray in a relational way is, is not something that I think a lot of people have learned how to do. And yet, um, as life gets more complex and as, as we just naturally uh, navigate you know, the ups and downs of life, our, our hearts are longing for God uh, in the midst of all that. So it's, it's certainly my hope and prayer that all those who are hungry for more are able to experience that this Lent. Father Tubes, how gratifying is it uh, to be able to touch uh, thousands and thousands of uh, hearts of, of a lot of folks uh, in recent years uh, through your Ascension Lenten Companion? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the series? Absolutely. I have um, I have uh, I've been a priest for 22 years, and uh, it really came uh, out of my heart as a pastor. If I can share just a story with you real quick, I, I remember— my, my, my first Lent as a pastor, two very small communities, and it was a privilege to be with them. And um, I had these dreams in my heart and head about what Holy Week was going to be uh, like. And I, I remember as we, we navigated through that first Lent um, that the, the, there were so few people uh, in the pew on Holy Thursday night that we barely had enough pe- people to wash feet. In, in the church. Wow. And it was just a piercing experience for me. And, um, and so I, I cleared my calendar and, um, and just visited as many parishioners as possible in, in the two communities I was there with. And, um, what did, did you, did you discover story. why people weren't showing up for, for Holy <laughs> Thursday? Yeah. So what happened was I asked them point blank, you know, with, with my pastor's heart, with great love, and that's put him on special justice, where were you? And, and no one had an answer for me, but this is what I realized. I was in the, I was in the you might say, the poorest home on one of my last nights, and I had one of my best meals. And I was pulling out of the driveway, driving back to the rectory that night, and uh, it dawned on me that in every house that I had been to, you know, the house was, was, was clean. It was picked up. And, and the meal that we had was probably a lot better than that they were going to have on a, uh, if I wouldn't have had been there. And I realized that people were excited because the pastor was coming over there. The priest was coming over. And as I pulled into the driveway that night, I just felt the Lord like, whisper to me, people change their life because of a person, not because of a concept. And I, I said, if I can help people get to know the person of Jesus— then when that person goes into Jerusalem and gives his life, more than, more than will be there for Holy Week. And so the next year is where I began to write just to help people get to know the person. And, uh, yeah, we probably tripled in our numbers because people had fallen in love with the person. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I think I forget sometimes how many people it's helping. Um, it's just my, my desire that people would fall in love with the Lord and that they would see them through a different lens as they get to know him personally. Well, I know that there's some uh, great uh, tools in your uh, uh, Ascension Lenten uh, companion series uh, uh, with uh, words of encouragement, some scripture, meditations, uh, uh, prayer. There's a lot of good stuff in there. What do you uh, recommend here in the final minute, uh, the best thing that our listeners can do uh, during this Lent to really grow in that personal heart-to-heart relationship with our Lord Jesus? Uh, A couple things. Go to ascensionpress.com. You'll get all the information you need there to learn more about the companion. Uh, the meditations are short, easy to read. You can do it in a couple of minutes at the beginning of the day. And I summarize everything in a word. You can kind of chew on that throughout the whole day. 
Um, so I would just encourage them to go to ascensionpress.com. And then most importantly, uh, to ask God for help. No one wants this more than God in their life. And if our listeners want to grow this Lent, then I think the companion is an ideal resource. And I think God wants it more than them. So just to ask for help. Sounds fantastic. Again, ascensionpress.com for much, much more uh, on this uh, outstanding uh, Lenten Companion series. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, uh, Father, for being with us. Uh, uh, It's been a joy. God bless you. God bless you, too. Father Mark Toops, the pastor of Our Lady of the Isle Catholic Church in Grand Isle, Louisiana, and the author of The Ascension Lenten Companion. We need to take a short break. When we come back, our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, will bring Rome to home for the latest news on the Holy Father from the Vatican. Stay with us. There is much more to come on this Wednesday edition of Morning Air. Bringing Rome to home. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And as you can hear, now it's time to bring Rome to home for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona. Ashley and her husband, John, founded the Truth and Beauty Project in Rome, where they take people from knowing their faith to setting their hearts on fire with talks, tours, and spiritual direction, all centered on scripture, art, and beauty. They even have a special track to evangelize young adults. You can visit truthandbeautyproject.com to find out much more how you can make your life a masterpiece in just a week with John and Ashley in Rome. Good morning, Ashley. Buongiorno. Thanks so much for joining us once again from uh, Bella Roma. Hey, John. Good morning to you. Great to be with you today and uh, happy to be bringing Rome to home. It's always a joy to spend a few moments uh, with you from the Eternal City. Uh, We always start out uh, with the Holy Father's Wednesday audience. So what was uh, the main focus for Pope Francis this morning? I see his audience was indoors once again. Yes, it sure was. We still have chilly temperatures here. So the audience was inside the Paul VI audience hall. And Pope Francis has continued the theme of apostolic zeal. So today he began by looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 7 to 16, the what's called the missionary discourse. And this is where Jesus spoke to his disciples uh, after he called them. And of course, as a, as a side note, we know that as being called the 12 apostles, it comes from the Greek apostoloi, which means to be sent out. So, of course, in this discourse, uh, Pope Francis pointed out that the focus was that the apostles might at the same time be with Christ, and yet he would simultaneously send them out to preach. Now, today, Pope Francis talked about the meaning of evangelization. He said, what it doesn't mean is saying blah, 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 and nothing more. So yes, indeed, that is a direct quote, John. Did he really say that? He said it in Italian, of course. (laughs) Italian blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. With a little accent, exactly. So he said that instead, to evangelize, you have to have a passion, and a passion that involves all of the human person, the mind, the heart, the hands, 
everything. He said the whole human person. And he said that when people are sent out, there's always a, a dual action because it's that tension of being with Christ and going out at the same time in Jesus' call. Because a Christian missionary activity, he says, it has to begin with that encounter from Christ and then to move outward from there. Because he warned that if you just present yourself, then it will all be in vain. All of the attempts to evangelize will be in vain. And then today, John the Pope went on to reflect on what he called the three aspects of Christian proclamation, which were why, what, and how to proclaim. Now, the why, what he said was pretty simple. It was simply to do it freely, to give what you have also received freely. And then the what, the what should be proclaimed? Well, the Pope said that God is the simple answer to that, that God should always be in what he called the first place. And finally, the how of how to proclaim, he said the answer is by being meek as lambs. But instead, when one is sent out to announce the gospel, he says sometimes you think you're going to become relevant or numerous or prestigious, and that the world is suddenly going to listen. It's going to respect you and your message. But he said, no, instead the Lord asks for his missionaries to be sheep amongst wolves, to be innocent and to be dedicated to the message. So in conclusion today, Pope Francis noted that Jesus sent those Uh, He sent out on mission without any material provisions, without worldliness, but trusting only in God's providence. So he reiterated that call and saying that the church is completely missionary, that all are therefore called to be meek, to be as lambs without worldliness, but to be united together, John. To be in enthusiastic lambs also, because obviously <laughs> he wants us to have that apostolic zeal. And, you know, what was going through my mind was, you know, we, we uh, you know, sports fans, whether it's in Italy with soccer or here in the U.S. with the recent Super Bowl, uh, you know, fans go crazy. They're enthusiastic about their teams. We need to have that same passion, as the Holy Father's mm-hmm. reminding us, about our faith and about our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't uh, share something that you're not excited about. Yes, exactly. In fact, today Pope Francis said that to bear witness to Christ means that you are radiating him. So in a similar way to what you're talking about, that passion and showing that passion. But he says that we have to authentically receive his light. Because again, if if one goes out without having received the authentic call and that light of Christ, Pope Francis said that they will be extinguished. And everything will be in vain. So those are those are the the words of counsel for how to become an authentically and enthusi- an authentically um, enthusiastic missionary, John. Well, the Holy Father knows something about being a missionary with, with all his uh, travels all around the world, uh, you know, just getting back from Africa last week. I mean, he, he knows uh, uh, the the power of, of sharing the faith with uh, with so many people the, the way that he does as the Vicar of Christ, but that every one of us can do as well. 
Yes. And in fact, he, he talked today about the importance of being willing to sacrifice and what that means as an evangelist. And as you're saying, of course, people see that that quiet willingness to sacrifice and they are moved by it. They're touched by it. They feel Christ's love through that. So that is something that each and every one of us can certainly strive for. Uh, meanwhile, what is the latest um, on the Vatican uh, finance uh, trial? I understand the Holy yes. Father uh, met uh, with uh, Cardinal uh, Betu um, last yes. week. Yes, you're exactly right. Well, John, you may recall that this is being called the Vatican trial of the century. It officially began in July of 2021. And this is where Cardinal Betchu has become the highest ranking church official to go on trial. Now, it's also also a landmark case for another reason. It's because in April of 2021, Pope Francis decreed that cardinals could be charged by a court that was made up not only of cardinal members, as it had been in the past. So Cardinal Betchu, who was part of the Secretary of State, has been charged with embezzlement, with fraud, with money laundering, and also abuse of his office. And this all ties into that major real estate deal in London. It was about a $350 million real estate deal. About $180 million were lost. Uh, Cardinal Betchu is not the only defendant. There are several but Pope Francis did meet with him, and in the past, the two had a, apparently an amiable relationship. Uh, pope Francis, right before Cardinal Betchu resigned, uh, Pope Francis went to his to Cardinal Betchu's private home. They celebrated a mass together, and Pope Francis last year in August, this past August, invited Cardinal Betchu to participate in the Consistory of Cardinals in Rome. So one of the things that's been talked about is will Pope Francis him also be summoned to witness at this trial? And uh, it, it looks like that will not be the case. Instead, Archbishop Parra will instead, the chief of staff will, will appear. Now, of this week, Thursday and Friday, tomorrow and Friday, there's going to be two more hearings. And the, the goal is to try to get to the bottom of understanding Colonel Betchu's role in this real estate situation, as well as to understand if Pope Francis also played a role in these proceedings. Uh, at this point, the trial is expected to continue for a while. There's no date that has been proposed for a verdict. But the, the hope is that this trial will certainly uh, continue down the path of making things more transparent at the Vatican, John. And I think it's important to note uh, that uh, Cardinal Betchu has insisted on his innocence of all the mm -hmm. charges uh, that he's being accused of. So uh, we have to uh, keep him in our prayers. Mm -hmm. Yes, we'll, we'll certainly be keeping our eye on this, tr this trial as it unfolds. Meanwhile, uh, on a uh, happier note, um, there was lots of amore, lots of love in the air yesterday oh, yeah. uh, celebrating St. Valentine's Day, also known as La Festa di San Valentino. You are right, John. You know what? <laughs> I did my and homework, Ashley. <laughs> you're so good. Exactly. Amore is in the air. And my husband, John, and I had the opportunity to celebrate in a very special way yesterday. We were running a Truth and Beauty Project immersion uh, on the beauty of marriage. 
and got to have a private mass in a Roman basilica here at the altar of St. Valentine. So there with the relics, with the skull of St. Valentine in, encased in a glass reliquary right there, the skull surrounded by flowers, and of course, uh, lettering painted across the forehead of the skull that says the name of St. Valentine. The mass was so beautiful, and the, the very lovely priest who celebrated Father Maxim Vaz in his homily actually read from the the homily of the ordination mass of St. Valentine. Wow. So it was really special to hear the encouraging words of Pope Marcellus, who was talking about uh, this the valor of this bold and courageous saint. And then in the meantime, we also had the chance to make a pilgrimage to the sanctuary of Our Lady of Divine Love, which is right outside of Rome. And John, this is definitely a lesser known shrine, uh, but it, it's a very powerful one. And it, it goes back to, uh, to an event that happened in the 18th century. And in that in this area south south of Rome, uh, there was a castle that belonged to the Savelli Orsini family, and the castle was built in the 13th century. And at that time, one of the towers was decorated with a beautiful fresco, an image of Our Lady holding the baby Jesus in her arms, and then a dove is descend descending upon her. So. The story goes that uh, local shepherds whose sheep would, would eat in the nearby area would often meet under this very tower, under this beautiful fresco, to pray the rosary together. But then in the year 1740, a pilgrim who was coming to Rome was attacked by angry dogs right there near that tower. And the tradition is, is that the pilgrim cried out upon seeing that fresco, cried out to the mother of God for help. And the dogs just calmed down. They ran off into the countryside. And after that, the word of this miraculous experience spread and a church was built on that spot. So this is the same church that pilgrims still today come far and wide to visit. And in fact, during the Jubilee year of 2000, Pope St. John Paul II made included the Shrine of Divine Love in the Seven Pilgrim Churches of Rome walk. And so what's also very special about visiting the Shrine of Divine Love, especially around this Feast of St. Valentine, this Feast of Love, is that entombed there, uh, there is a beautiful married couple called the Quattro Yokis. Now, if we translate that, John, that literally means four eyes, the four eyes couple. So Luigi and Maria Quattroiocchi uh, lived in the 20th century. He died in 1951, she in 1965. And they were the first couple to be beatified together. And this was the, yeah, the very first time that a married couple had ever been beatified together. And uh, special permission was granted. Their feast day is celebrated not on the dates of their death, but actually on their wedding day. So the 25th of November is their feast day. So in going out to this beautiful shrine, John and I not only had the opportunity to have mass there at the shrine of Our Lady of Divine Love, but also uh, the bishop 
one of the uh, auxiliary bishops did a blessed holy oils and did a special healing um, prayer over all of the attendees. And then we had the chance to pray at the tomb of the Quattro Yokis. So it was certainly a wonderful St. Valentine's celebration, John. A fantastic uh, Festa di San Valentino. Final minute, real quick. Uh, I know you got the Feast of uh, Fra Angelo coming up on Saturday. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot uh, planned uh, for that. Yes, in fact, he is entombed right here in the heart of Rome in the church of um, uh, Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. He died in 1455, and he is the patron saint of artists. Pope St. John Paul II decreed him as such. And so on that day, there will be special masses, vespers, rosary, and pilgrims from all over far and wide will come to especially venerate the remains of this great saint known uh, for his beautiful Renaissance pieces, especially his angels. That's why he's called Fra Angelico, John. Well, I so much appreciate your perspective. Uh, It almost feels like we're on a Truth and Beauty Project uh, pilgrimage every time we uh, connect with you every Wednesday. Thanks so much, uh, Ashley. It is a delight. Many blessings to you. Thank you. Grazie, grazie. Our Ashley Narona, our Rome correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can listen to her reports on the Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, Joe Boland, the Vice President of Mission for Catholic Extension, will be with us to talk about the missions in the United States. So stay with us. There is much more to come as Morning Air continues on this Wednesday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. along with Glenn and Sarah. Good to be with you here on this Wednesday morning. A number of you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. Our power scripture from the playbook of life this morning is from 2 Corinthians 5-7. The Apostle St. Paul writes, For we walk by faith and not by sight. St. Paul is reminding us of the importance of living our everyday lives by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We rely on our faith in Christ even though we cannot see him. He is with us always as he promised. Christ is with us in Scripture. He's with us par excellence in the Holy Eucharist and in confession. He's with us in one another. Let's live by faith in the Lord and not by sight. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, have you ever thought about the fact that the United States is still a missionary country? In fact, to this day, there are thousands of Catholic missions in the U.S. Catholic Extension has been supporting them for over a century to ensure that no part of our country falls outside the reach of the Catholic Church's spiritual, charitable, and pastoral care. Joining us live from Chicago is Joe Bolin, Vice President of Mission for Catholic Extension, to tell us about uh, the missionary frontiers in our own country. Good morning, Joe. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again. Good morning, John. Thanks so much for having me. Joe, uh, I think that a lot of folks don't realize uh, just how many missions there are in, in our nation. Can you share with us a little bit about uh, these missions all across the, the U.S.? We are. We are uh, 
expanding in, in, in a mission country uh, as we speak. And, and that is something that uh, we tend uh, not to think about. We think of missions as uh, a phenomenon that occurs in faraway places that we can only uh, imagine or read about. But uh, certainly we have to think of our own country as, uh, as mission country. It's why Catholic Extension um, was, was founded, was to ensure that there was this permanent missionary spirit uh, that was awake and alive uh, in the United States. And really, a mission can be um, anywhere. Uh, it could be in a, a very urban area. It could be in a very uh, rural area. Um, sometimes they're even in the suburbs. There's a, a, a wonderful mission that we've supported of a Capuchin mission in a mall in uh, Colorado Springs. Uh, but we do know that about 75% of the missions uh, in the United States, so that's about 2,000 mission churches, if you will, um, are located in one of the 87 dioceses that Catholic Extension supports. So they're oftentimes found in places like uh, the southwestern United States, uh, Native American reservations, uh, the Alaskan villages, uh, the mountains of Appalachia, the deep south, uh, the mountains of, of Puerto Rico. Some of these places where distance, economic challenges, uh, or language might make it difficult to have a permanent uh, presence of the church. And so we have these satellite missions, uh, if you will, uh, where the church can get out and offer people all uh, the care of the church, the sacraments, uh, and really ensure that that all people are are taken care of. And Joe, I imagine that you've had the opportunity over the years to visit uh, uh, many of these missions. Uh, are there a few that really stand out uh, that come to mind? Absolutely. Uh, you know, w- one of the things that always strikes me, n- no matter where I go, and as I just mentioned, you know, these missions exist in very diverse places. Um, a lot of times what they share in common is, you know, the floors are a little creaky, or sometimes they, they don't have floors at all. Uh, they might have a, a dirt floor, you might have a sh- some kind of a shelter. Um, or sometimes we walk into uh, little manufactured homes that have been uh, converted in, into churches. Um, but what's powerful is to see the missionary spirit of the church alive. Uh, just last week, I was in Puerto Rico, I was on this little mission church that we helped build that is literally clinging to a mountainside. Um, a community that was just a few months ago hit by by um, another uh, hurricane. But nonetheless, uh, there's a, a, a group of people there, a, a group of parishioners who are deeply committed uh, not only to coming together and, and living out their Catholic faith, but living their Catholic faith in the world so that when there's people hurting, like when there's neighbors who have been flooded out or are suffering, uh, the, the church is there uh, to be with people. Um, and it, so, again, it, it looks very different no matter where you go. In, in Utah, um, where, you know, the Catholic Church, uh, the Diocese of Salt Lake City covers the entire state of Utah, and most of the state is Catholic missions. Um, I heard a wonderful quote there uh, from, from the former bishop. He said, you know, there's no such thing as an accidental Catholic in the state of Utah. If you're going to be Catholic, where you're a minority, especially in some of the rural communities of, of Utah, where it's you know largely Mormon country, uh, you really have to uh, own your faith and and uh, and live your faith in, in in order to preserve it. And that is indeed the case. You find these really intentional Catholics at a lot of these missions. Uh, Joe, uh, for folks who don't quite understand exactly what it means uh, to be a missionary church, can you explain uh, what that means? 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, in the theological sense, um, we're always meant uh, to be on mission. It, it, it means that the church's work is literally never done. You can never get to a place uh, where you're you're too comfortable. Um, I guess the, the greatest image uh, I, I have of it is that there's certain, I've read about certain sea creatures where uh, animals in the sea, if, if they stop moving, they die. They can't breathe. And to me, that's how I think of the missionary efforts of the Catholic Church. It always is and needs to be on the move. It was the commandment of Christ to go out and make disciples of all nations. And so there's never a point that we get to as a church where we say, ah, we've accomplished it all, we've done it all, we're done. Um, to, to recognize that there are missions in our own country means that we're embracing our missionary identity, meaning that there's areas, there's situations, there's circumstances where we still uh, need to go out as a church to bring the love and the presence of Christ. Um, and that's exactly uh, what we're called to do and what we are doing uh, through the presence of these thousands of missions throughout the United States. And Joe, um, these missions uh, in, in many of these uh, 87 Catholic dioceses that Catholic Extension is involved in, uh, many of them are in poor areas. What are some of the challenges and needs of, uh, of those missions? They are. Um, economic challenges are certainly uh, one of them. I was, I was in a church uh, recently, and I asked the people, um, what do you collect on a Sunday? Because I was impressed by how much they were doing to care for the, care for the poor um, in, in their midst. And I said, just out of curiosity, um, what's your collection on Sunday? And they told me that it was um, about $100 um, for, um, you know, for a fairly sizable community. And so even though they can be very poor themselves uh, economically, they can be rich in generosity, in faith, in spirit, in terms of, of living out the mission themselves, and we see that. Um, the other thing uh, we see in some communities where Catholics are a minority, for example, there's missions in um, counties of the United States where perhaps there's never been a presence of the Catholic Church. Uh, one that comes to mind that I recently visited was Irwin, Tennessee. So it's in the Diocese of Knoxville, and about three years ago they built the first Catholic Church, and they did it, uh, built this beautiful multicultural parish um, meeting in a garage for several years and just parishioners coming together. And the priest looked at them and said, listen, go to the exits, look at the exit sign. That's one of the most important symbols that we have in this church. The exit means you go out and you bring what you have received in this church and you bring it out to others. And they did that and they went out and they evangelized. And now they are a full-fledged parish in a county where perhaps the Catholics are only 2% of the population. Those are the types of missionary experiences that exist in the United States, and they should be, uh, they should give us great hope of about what is possible um, when we live out our missionary identity as Catholics. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, there's a, a lot of hope, and uh, I'm sure you've seen lots of signs of, of vitality, even though many of the of these uh, missions, uh, you know, are still poor. That's exactly it. Um, you know, that even in the midst of, you know, what looks like a lot of economic struggle um, on the surface or very poor conditions, uh, there is a vibrancy in many of these places. I learn a lot from the missions, and that's one of the things we encourage people 
who connect with Catholic Extension is to get to understand the, the vibrant missionary spirit of some of these communities that are in our own country that are a great example of what it means to be a Catholic um, in the year 2023 and living out their mission in such a, such a powerful way. Uh, final minute, Joe, are there any uh, patron saints of missions? There are plenty of uh, patron saints of the missions. Of course, uh, the ones that, that come to mind uh, would be St. Teresa of Lisieux, a patron of the missions. Ironically, someone who never went to the missions herself, uh, she had desired to go, never was able to go uh, because of health. But uh, I think what is important about her story, and perhaps the lesson that uh, some of us can take away from her story, is that even though she couldn't go to the missions, she was in prayerful solidarity with the missions. And so for some of us that won't be able to you know, travel to these far, uh, far-flung places, uh, we can at least be in prayerful solidarity um, and, and financial sol- solidarity, for that matter, with the missions in a similar vein as uh, St. Therese of Lisieux. Well, St. Therese, the little flower, uh, a great uh, patron saint of the missions. Uh, Joe, thanks so much, uh, as always, for joining us. And, of course, our listeners can visit catholicextension.org for much more. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Joe Boland, the Vice President of Mission at Catholic Extension. And now it's time for yet another Glenn Story Corner. Our story today on the heels of Valentine's Day, a wonderful marriage. A husband and wife had been married for 30 years. On the 30th anniversary of their wedding, the wife, as usual, had baked the breakfast bun in every morning tradition. During breakfast, she cut it across, buttered both sides, and as usual, started to give the top to her husband. But suddenly her hand stopped halfway. She thought, on this day, our 30th anniversary, I want to eat the rosy part of the bun. I've been dreaming about this for 30 years. You know, I've been an exemplary wife. For 30 years, I've raised fine sons for him. I've been wise and accurate with finances. I've run the household. I've put great effort into the health and well-being of our family. After much thought, she made up her mind. Hands trembling, she broke the 30-year-old tradition and gave the bottom portion of the bun to her husband. Slowly and gently, her husband took the bun and said to her, What a wonderful gift you've given me today, my dear. For 30 years, I did not eat my favorite part of the bun, the bottom, because I thought it rightfully should be yours. Romans 12.10 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And a little communication doesn't hurt either. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for that reminder. Uh, Thank you as always, uh, Glenn. Coming up next hour... Our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tayon, will join us to talk about how the rite of confession will change on Ash Wednesday and why we should go to confession before Lent to prepare us for this upcoming season. And personal sex coach Dave Duran is going to be with us to tell us about signs that your pride is holding you back, despite the fact that you might not even be able to see it. Stay with us. We're just warming up. There's much more to come on this Wednesday in the final hour of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 